you are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit Common Ground C- All right, good to go. Thank you very much, Matt. Appreciate you uh, leading us in worship and leading you or leading us in prayer and uh, putting a microphone that I don't have to hold in front of me because that always is a little bit challenging because I'm clumsy. Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us on our live stream service again. I, I hate to think that we're starting to get really good at live streaming because I can't wait to get back together and having more than just a handful of uh, people here looking at me and making funny faces at me while I'm trying to talk. Uh, but uh, man, I just, I miss our church. I miss the congregation. I miss the interaction and everything that we uh, get to have. But it's been neat to have people joining us that maybe not wouldn't normally be able to join us. And so welcome all. Um, I truly hope that this message today, which is going to be not one I wanted to preach, really, but it landed on me in the schedule and I get to do it. So uh, we'll see how it goes. I did not like how convicting it was for me personally to work through this passage. But we are in First Peter. Our passage today is going to be in chapter 2. Beginning with verses 2, or I'm sorry, verses 13, and going through verse 25, a pretty large chunk that we're, we're going to be looking at here together. Um, you know, uh, you never know who might be, might be watching us. You know, even city officials or maybe even state officials could be joining us in there. That'd be kind of cool if, if, if our governor were watching us this morning because then I would be able to say with a very bad English accent, Hello, governor. You know, I always like that word, governor. I think we should use that more. I mean, it's used for bosses and all kinds of people. You just, hey, governor. You know, that's right. And, and that's what the title of today's message is. It's the governor. And uh, so, yeah, in a minute here, I'm going to be looking at a passage. And together, we're going to be looking at this passage that has to deal with <clears throat> government and politics and, and that sort of thing. So if you would join me in prayer, and then we will read the text. Father, uh, thank you for your word, and thank you that your word is not our word, because uh, were it up to us, we would just write a bunch of nonsense. We would be making up our own rules and our own way of of doing things, and uh, that would just create more chaos in this world. Lord, we live in a very crazy, uh, chaotic world already. And so we need something to give us direction. We need wisdom. We need to know the way that we ought to go. And uh, you have told us uh, yourself uh, through Jesus Christ that, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And so, Lord, today we, we look to Jesus because we, we need to know the way. Um, we need truth. And uh, in a dying world, we especially need to know life. So we pray that you would make yourself known to us in the pages of scripture today and uh, help us to see what what you would like each of us individually to see but also uh, uh, corporately together as as the body of christ so lord teach us and instruct us through your word may your spirit speak to our hearts um, and may our ears uh, and our hearts be open and our hands and feet ready for action we pray this all in jesus name amen Okay, well, here's the text. We'll read all the way through in second, I'm sorry, first Peter chapter two, beginning with verse 13. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent 
by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, but not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Boy, there is a lot in that passage, and there's no way that uh, the next 30 minutes or so is going to adequately allow us to cover everything in there. But uh, here are some points that at least I think I felt uh, God had written down on two by four and smacked me up alongside the head uh, quite solidly with it from his text, from this scripture here. Um, here's the thing that I think I learned about myself as I was preparing this message. I have a relationship with the government, and it's complicated. <laughs> um, it's kind of a love-hate relationship. And as I was reading through this text, I began to see a lot of things about the way I was responding to politics and government and, and things like that um, that probably weren't the, you know, the best way to respond. A lot of stuff coming out of my flesh rather than coming from the Holy Spirit. So I began this by asking the Holy Spirit to begin to to work in my heart and to change some things, change some attitudes and things like that. Um, so, so like I said, personally, this has been a challenging and very convicting text. And I want you to know that right up before I even start in it. Um, if we have learned anything about human nature during this uh, COVID-19 crisis, it's that we are prone to bow down to golden calves. That's been a human problem um, ever since the fall. We find certain things that we put in place of God often without even knowing it, and we find ourselves worshiping and, and bowing down. Uh, one thing that I've observed, at least during this time, is that on one hand, we have people who worship freedom. You know, we all paint half our face blue and, you know, carry a big Scottish Claymore and yell like Mel Gibson. Well, we love that concept of freedom. And we're starting to see our country, in a way, kind of divide over to one side or the other. And one side being those who who bow down to the golden calf of of freedom. And on the other hand, we have those who, who bow down to the golden calf of security and safety. Uh, I don't think we realize how easily it is for those things to become idols in our life. Things that begin to govern and control um, 
ourselves. Whatever we bow down to is what governs our souls. If we bow down to security, we will always play it safe. Um, We will willingly surrender our freedoms and our responsibilities. If we bow down to freedom, on the other hand, then we become, we could become selfish and and demanding. Our our rights take precedence over every other thing, even others' well-being. If we were to take those things to an extreme, uh, these holy cows uh, that we bow down to would actually be us exalting ourselves over all others. And we become the replacements for God. The juice of the forbidden fruit from the Garden of Eden is still staining our chins, we might say. Now, this is especially dangerous for us as Christians, uh, for the people of Christ. Should we be governed by a playing it safe attitude, then we might resist God's call to make his name known in the world. Something that requires risk, something that requires danger, um, something that requires boldness. So we got to be careful not to uh, go to the extreme of playing it safe. Um, if we care only about our personal rights and our freedoms, then we might be ignoring the needs of others and compassion could die within us. And that would not be a good situation. Either way, were we to go to, to one side or the other in these political extremes and attitudes that we're seeing right now, we would no longer be executors of the Great Commission. Uh, we would not be living the good life as God defines it, which is a holy life, a, a life that's completely unnormal, completely different from everything else that we know. Um, God would not be seen as holy in our conduct. So just what we've seen in COVID right now has has kind of made this particular passage very timely and very important for us. The great peril for the church is that something other than the heartbeat of Jesus Christ would be displayed to a world that he cared so much for that he was willing to sacrifice his very self. Um, Hopefully, another thing that we can learn from or about human nature during the COVID-19 crisis is the dire need for the followers of Jesus Christ to live differently than we ever have before, uh, to live this good life that the Holy Spirit gives us through Jesus Christ to live a holy life. So that brings us to three tensions that we find in this this passage. Uh, The first tension being individual freedom, responsibility, and external governance. One thing I think we're learning right now is that we're trying to find that balance of, of, well, what, what, what about my individual freedom? But at the same time, what about my responsibility towards others? And, and, and what about the fact that we all need external governance? Because left to ourselves, if we all governed ourselves, you know, and did what was right in our own sight, like the day of judges, uh, it would be a mess. So I think that the passage here um, speaks to these tensions. And I'm not going to say that they're easy. I think where they overlap, we find that a very uncomfortable place to be. But again, hopefully, God will guide us and direct us through his word and through the person of Jesus Christ. Let me go back to verse 13. This is this is what God says to us through this, this epistle. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. 
that covers them all. That's, that's, that's a blanket coverage. There's, there's not one, there's not one that's exempt there. God has established those things and he, and he tells us that we're to be subject to them. Peter went on to say, whether it be the emperor as supreme or governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good, um, we're to be subject to them. This is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but live as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Uh, boy, this speaks to us right now in this time that we live in because we have a problem with politicians. We don't like them. I don't care who they are. I don't care what what the whether it's a big D or a big R after their names or before their names. Um, we just really are divided as a nation because of our politicians, and and it's not been good. It's been getting kind of ugly, in fact. And and then this scripture jumps in here, and and man, we don't. I don't think we like what it just said there. But what was going on in Peter's time where the people were living under an emperor, a Roman emperor, and his governors, and they were not just people. Uh, Christians were having to deal with that. Christians were being um, persecuted during this time. Uh, Christianity was being spoken of as not a good thing. And so that's why Peter said, now more than ever, Christians, we need to live the life in front of these people that is going to silence them. Christianity already has been getting a bad rap. So he's saying, please don't add fuel to that fire. And I think that's very relevant for us today. That there are a lot of people that don't understand Christianity or have a, have a picture of Christianity that's not, not really a valid picture because of the way that Christ has been represented in a poor way, even by by ourselves. So let's not add fuel to the fire of Christianity be maligned, but let's say, God, help us to live in such a way that demonstrates who Jesus Christ is to this world. So we saw three things in that text that we just looked at where Peter said, hey, muzzle the maligners. Um, put to silence those who are speaking ignorantly about Christianity by doing what is beneficial to others. And, and I think that's an application for us today that the best thing we could be doing as the church, as followers of Christ, is seeking how can we best live in a way that is beneficial to others around us. And they don't have to deserve that because we never deserved God's grace. Um, we're just supposed to do it to reflect Jesus Christ. And again, we need his spirit to enable us to do that. Uh, we're also told to be free. He said, live as free people. But he said, don't live just free in a way that that's a cover up for evil. And well, what's evil? Selfishness. Putting myself first in front of all other things. To be unloving and that sort of thing. Um, so it's not about exercising our own rights. That isn't what we have freedom for. By the way, you're not going to like this. I didn't like this. I don't have any rights. Okay? The Bible overrules the Constitution. All right. Uh, if, if you're going to put the Constitution over the Bible, I'm definitely going to have a problem with that. But here's the thing. When Jesus Christ purchased us by his blood on the cross, he purchased everything. He purchased our lives. And that means he purchased our rights and our freedoms to do with whatever he wills, not just what we will. So we need to be very careful about how we use that word freedom. Why are we free? Why were we set free from our sins and the guilt of that and the punishment of that? 
so that we would then be free to live the life of Christ towards others in this world until he returns. It's our job to represent God in this broken world, and we have been made free to do that because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And then he, he ends this, this portion of the scripture by honor everyone, love the brotherhood, brotherhood, fear God. And then he goes back to honor the emperor. And, and Paul wrote in Romans 12 that we should outdo one another. Are you competitive? I'm kind of competitive. Here's, here's a good way for Christians to be competitive. To, to outdo one another in showing honor to one another. I think that's Romans 12, 21, uh, somewhere in there. And, and when we're supposed to show honor to everyone, to other people, um, in this context of Peter's writing here as well, he even includes nut job politicians that were to show honor to them. The word that he uses there for emperor is uh, a word used for king or a son of a king. Uh, it was used in reference to the pharaohs of Egypt. It's a, a word that was used for Herod, for Pontius Pilate, and the Roman emperor. Now, I find it very interesting that at the time of the writing of this epistle, that the Roman emperor, who was in control of the Roman Empire at that time, was a man named Lucius Domitius Ahenobarbus. You ever hear of that guy? Ever hear of that Roman emperor? You and I know him better as the man named Nero. Oh, Nero. Yeah, go look at Wikipedia and, and take a look at this guy named Nero. All right. I, I think, man, God was setting us up for something by writing this to us at a time when this man was the dominant ruler of the world. Um, we know Nero is the guy who allegedly played the fiddle while Rome was burning. And that was just political satire. Um, yes, Roman did burn, but uh, the fiddle hadn't even been invented at that time. Um, and, and But what that is, is it's, it's a picture, it's almost like a political cartoon, uh, that word picture, of Rome falling, in, falling into destruction because of the incompetence of this man named Nero. Now, how did he even become emperor? Well, you can look it up and see this. He gained his position through the machinations and the manipulations of his mother, Agrippina. Okay, It's very interesting that a lot of times the, the people that find themselves in power is because they're actually um, they're put there by the, the, the work of somebody else. And in this case, it was his mom getting him elevated into that position. Uh, Nero began to be known for a man who was given to debauchery, to loose living, and to excess, uh, especially in the Bacchian festivals. They had this, this god Bacchus who they, they, uh, they would celebrate with wine and drink and orgies and all sort of thing. And man, Nero was known as a partier uh, when it came to observing those things. Uh, history tells us that Nero was a brutal, abusive husband, even to the point of murder. Uh, when his own mother began to say, huh, I think I kind of messed up getting this guy into position. Maybe his stepbrother, Britannicus, would be a better emperor than him. When Nero found out about that, well, guess what he did? He had Britannicus killed. And then he had his mother assassinated. 
And he didn't even, he was so incompetent, he didn't do a good job at that. He, he arranged for her to be, uh, on a, on a trip at sea and for her vessel to sink. Well, it did, only she swam back to shore, thwarting his plan to assassinate her. When that was discovered, someone was sent who then took a sword and uh, finished that job. So he committed matricide uh, by killing his mother in order to secure his position. Now, when a major portion of the city of Rome did burn, it was widely assumed, widely assumed that Nero was responsible for that. It was, there was even a rumor that he wanted to build this golden palace, and so uh, he burnt this one quarter of the town in order to make room for his remodeling project. Maybe he did that, maybe he didn't, we don't know. But we do know that he did this. He did not like this this. Uh, opinion of him being widespread through the Roman Empire, so he had to find a scapegoat, somebody else to accuse for the burning of the city of Rome. So guess what Nero did? He accused us. He accused Christians, who were already kind of being seen as troublemakers in the Roman world. And so he thought, well, that's just perfect. So he created um, a, a, a mob scene, so to speak, against Christianity in the Roman Empire, which began a barbaric persecution of Christians. And this is what the Christians of Peter's day, when he wrote this letter, this is what they were dealing with because of the emperor who was ruling them at that time. They were being thrown to the beasts in the arena. They were being crucified uh, by the masses. Um, some he even lit on fire at night to illuminate the streets of Rome. Uh, eventually, Nero became known as public enemy number one uh, to Rome. His own people began to see that this was not a good ruler for the Roman Empire. His own Praetorian guard uh, declared him as public enemy number one and forsook him, and he was ousted by power. When he realized where things were going to take him at that point, Nero decided to commit suicide, but he wasn't even competent enough to do that. So his personal secretary is actually the one who ended uh, his his sad and tragic life. He delivered the coup de grace. So, yeah, there you go, Nero. What an example of a political ruler. And God's word just told us as Christians, honor the emperor. I don't like that. <laughs> you probably don't like that one either. I mean, this guy doesn't deserve respect. He doesn't deserve honor. But we have to be reminded that every human authority exists because God put it there. And he put it there for his purposes and, and for his reasonings. So there's the governor. Our, our, the question that's now given to us is, well, how are we going to respond to these people that are in power? And I think the scripture just made it pretty clear of what we're supposed to do, that that's how we live a, a holy life. But that leads us to the second tension. What about when these governments are unjust? How do we respond to uh, an unjust leader? Okay, the next part of the scripture, starting with verse 18, says this, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. And this, this you don't have to just take this as a slave-master relationship. This can be applied in so many ways where everybody, be subject to your governor with all respect, and not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the unjust 
And that's hard, isn't it? If you've ever been under uh, an unjust authority, uh, you know that it's tough to be subject to them. Uh, I can remember being in eighth grade, I had a bully. Did you have a bully in school? I had one. Almost every grade seemed like. And in eighth grade, there was this one guy particularly. He sat behind me in, in our in our English class, and he liked to take the desk, kind of like this pulpit here with that edge, and get it up over the back of my chair and then ram me right there at the base of the neck with that thing. And it drove me nuts. And then I'd get mad. And uh, the, the teacher never seemed to catch him doing that. But she always caught me turning around in my chair to chew him out and tell him to stop doing that. And then I'd get in trouble in front of the whole class for being disruptive or something like that. In sixth grade, I had a teacher that he, he thought it was cool to uh, group the entire class into little little clusters of four, right? So guess what he did? He, he put me in a cluster with three girls, okay? Now, you are listening now to the timber of the Rombo voice, okay? This is something I've had since the sixth grade, okay? My voice went deep early. It is impossible to whisper with this timber. So these girls, you know, and stuff like that, and then I would say something to them. Guess who he'd hear? Me. His favorite form of punishment was to make me write a page of a dictionary. I'd have to copy an entire page of a dictionary. I ran into this guy some 20 years later after that, and I said, hey, I don't know if you remember having me in your class or not, but you were my teacher in the sixth grade. He goes, oh, yeah, I remember you. And, and he started naming off all my classmates that I, that I went to school with. And I'm like, holy cow, he does remember me. And I said, I'm pretty impressed. He says, oh, don't be impressed. I have two dictionaries on my, on my desk. One is Webster's and the other one is Rombo's. <laughs> that's, that's how much I had to copy those. And it wasn't fair because it was always the girls. And I'm like, you know, and then I get caught, you know. So, you know, those are just a couple of examples that I go back to and think about. Yeah, there was, there was unjust masters over us. And we were supposed to respond to them, not with anger or hatred or not, this isn't fair or that sort of thing, but, but to respect them and to be subject to them. The reason for this, if you continue reading verse 19, it says, this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. What credit is it if you sin and you're punished for that sin and you you endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And I think that we have to remember that as God's people, that's something that's going to happen, that we're, we're not going to have perfect masters over us. We are going to have unjust bosses or governors or politicians or whatever that are making decisions for us. Um, and, and, and we have to know how to respond to that in a way that is not according to our flesh, but biblical and under the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, when Peter says, with all respect, he's talking about a, a humble acknowledgement of where we stand in the chain of command. And, and to remember that, you know, that's, that, that we do always have somebody that's over us, both just and, and unjust. The Greek word for unjust is skolios. And that's where we get uh, the, the word scoliosis, uh, meaning a, a twisted spine. And so what he's talking about that is even when you are governed by somebody who's twisted in his ruling, in his governing, we're still to subject ourselves to them with all respect. 
Probably the best way to translate that scoliost in today's vernacular is unreasonable. (laughs) There are times in my life when I thought an authority over me was not being reasonable. And, and I had, and because of that, I had every reason in myself then to push back uh, against that. But now I see in scripture that I was supposed to endure that rather than to push back. Like I said, this was very convicting personally. Well, then that leads us to the third tension, and that's, well, how do you do that? How in the world are we supposed to live in a world uh, <laughs> or a, a system where even someone who's corrupt might be ruling over us? How are we supposed to endure that? Well, if Peter was writing to a bunch of people that had to endure Nero's rule, then I think we're finding that we have... Uh, an example that's set before us. Well, then, then what do we do? I mean, the people are probably asking the same question. What are you kidding? Respect Nero, honor the emperor. How this guy? Uh, how in the world do we do we do that? And if we continue reading in this text, we're going to see Peter give the answer to that tension. It comes down to uh, when government is unjust, then it's time for us to trust the one who is just. For to this, verse 21, for to this you have been called. Every single Christian has a calling, and here's part of our calling. We have been called to do this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Now just stop and think about that for a minute. Jesus Christ suffered for you. He suffered for me. And there was nothing just about him suffering for my sins. It should have been me. It should have been you. It should have been all of us. But Jesus in his grace said, I will make this just in the midst of injustice for your sakes. He says that it says there in verse 21 that Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. We can't ignore that. We can't say, okay, I'm I'm going to be a Christ follower, but I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to, I'm going to have my own system of how I follow Jesus Christ. No, it's, it's right there that we are supposed to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. So when we wonder, well, how in the world do I respond to, to injustice? Well, just look to Jesus. Just look to what he did there. And, and, and it goes on in verse 23. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So here's what it comes down to. Whatever kind of government we have over us, because governments are transient. The one that we've been under here in the United States of America, we've been under for just a little over 200 years. And it's had a pretty good run. Not very many governments last that long. They eventually fall into corruption and decay. Why? Because they are human governments. There is no perfect government 
in humanity that exists. That's why we are told in, in um, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, uh, that when Christ would come, uh, that the government would rest on his shoulders. Because that's the only way to have a perfect ruler, a perfect king, a, a perfect governor over us, is once Christ is the one who's doing the governing. Jesus himself lived during a very tumultuous, I can't think of the word, uh, time of turmoil when it comes to human government. And I want you to go back and read the gospel sometime and tell me, can you find any place in there where Jesus got political? In fact, he avoided it. Uh, the people tried to make him king by force. And he goes, no, we're not, we're not doing that. Peter came to him and said, is it right that I should pay taxes? And Jesus basically said, Peter, pay your taxes. All right, I'm even going to help you pay your taxes. Go out and, and, and catch fish, because that's what you do for a living. And, and when you catch these fish, just look, you're going to find the coins to pay your taxes in those fish. I'm going to supernaturally assist you to do that. Even though those taxes that Peter was paying would pay for public executions like crucifixions, would pay for the soldiers to occupy his homeland. <laughs> Jesus didn't go counter-political in that. He just said, Peter, just do what you need to do as a citizen right now. He didn't ask Peter to like it. Um, he didn't ask Peter to, to wait until the request was reasonable. He said, just do what you got to do, Peter. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus stood before Herod, who was a corrupt politician. He stood before Pilate, who was a corrupt politician. He subjected himself to the Roman crucifixion that was put together by a corrupt human institution. And we see how he did it. He didn't rail against that government. He didn't rail against those people. He didn't rail against those institutions, but he subjected himself to God and endured it. You see what he avoided at that time of dealing with a corrupt government. He avoided sin and he avoided deceit. You know, injustice just does not justify us doing something that would be out of God's character. Uh, it does not ever justify us dealing false with someone else. And I think we have to own up as Christianity in America that that has happened and uh, not to the glory of God's kingdom. We see that Jesus avoided returning the heaping abuse that was given to him. He did not give it back to those who were laying it on him. He did not threaten some sort of menacing retaliation. You know, if, if you watch Facebook, do you see the people dividing? Do you see people taking this side and that side? And do you see how we use Facebook to be kind of um, uh, passive-aggressive in our threats towards one another? Yeah, that's what's happening. And that's something we should have no part of whatsoever. Again, like I said, this got very politically con- or personally convicting for me as I was reading through this text. So Jesus avoided those things, but here's what he did instead. Instead, he put himself in God's hands. You might remember that when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was facing the injustice of being the Holy One going to the cross to die for our sins, uh, to be the righteous one who in a moment on that cross would become sin in our place. The living eternal one who gave life to all of creation would die and in the midst of that be separated 
from the Father in heaven. Uh, he would endure hell in our place. There, I, I can't think of a greater injustice. And it, Jesus recoiled at that. But we know in his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane that he said, nevertheless, thy will be done. It's a great example for you and me as Christians where we need to stop for a minute and say, you know what, no matter how much I may not like this, even though this is going a direction I don't think I agree with, um, we're supposed to submit to the supreme authority and say, God, whatever you desire, no matter what it might cost me. And then as we know, if you look at verse 24 and it talks about him dying on a cross, we see that Jesus endured the worst kind of human injustice and he endured it for our sakes. I think that's the challenge that's given to us as followers of Christ today is even if it's unjust, will you endure it for the sake of others? Will you live your life in a way that is beneficial to others, whether they deserve it or not. Because that's what Jesus did for us. That's the example that he left for us. And he did that so that you and I would be dead to sin. That means that, that we wouldn't have to respond to sin, that we wouldn't be conditioned by it, that that would just be our, our default setting, but that we would now have an option to live in a different way. He did that so that we would live his life of righteousness in the sight of God. That's the greatest trade that was ever made, that Jesus would take our sins so that we then could take his righteousness. So the question we should ask ourselves, are we living that way? Are we living dead to sin? And are we living in a way that displays the righteousness of Christ to others he did that so that we would be healed of every wrong okay and and that's not just the wrongs that we ourselves have committed but he's also doing that to heal us from the wrongs that are committed against us that the injustices that we do suffer he will make right someday he will heal us of the stain of injustice And he did this so that we who have strayed like sheep would be restored to the proper governor of our souls. Because when you look up that word, the overseer of our souls, that that includes governance. And, And that's what you and I have always needed as human beings, is for God to govern our souls. Not somebody else, not ourselves especially. So... Let me conclude with this. The question that I have been asking myself lately is, what world am I living in? Because the answer to that question will um, have ramifications about how I view politics, the government, and injustices and, and injustice. We basically have two options. We are either living in the here and now. We're just living for this world and for this life right now. But Jesus didn't die for us to live just for that life. He died so that we would live with an eternal perspective. And so often when I'm living in the here and now, um, I find myself overly fixated on human government, which is unrealistic, you know, because... Government strays like sheep too. <laughs> uh, it's not perfect. 
And when I think that the government's going to answer all my questions for me or solve all my problems for me, then I'm not living realistically at all in the sight of God. I get fixated on what government should be doing or what it should not be doing. Um, it, it can make me combative towards other people, especially those of a differing stance. You know, according to the epistle we just read there, government exists to reward those who do well and punish those who do evil. That's government's job description. But we can look at human history and see that it's never restrained itself to just those things. Government always gets bigger than it's supposed to get. And God shows us how to respond to that. And I believe that the best way is by adopting an eternal perspective. To say it's not about just the here and now. It's not just about how this is being handled or that's being handled right now. It's about what direction is God taking us. Even through very difficult, hard times. Even while rulers and politicians can be just as corrupt as Nero was. Um, He says, set Christ where he belongs. Let Christ be the governor of your souls. So that's the challenge that we now have to live in, a very timely challenge, uh, uh, a very good challenge. And whether COVID struck us or not, um, a challenge that I think we as Christians should rise up to. If anything, the world should see in us something different, uh, something not normal, something holy. And that is following the example of Christ, even while facing injustice. Not an easy thing to ask of myself, nor a thing that I find easy to ask of you, but scripture demands it. Uh, So if you would, let's pray together, and then Matt will close this off in a song. Lord, uh, this was not a fun sermon at all. This passage, as I looked into it, just made me cringe. And, And maybe it made me cringe because it revealed to me my own fleshly nature. It revealed to me my own tendency to lose track of the world that I'm living in, to find myself so easily given over to the here and now, and to have my fixation somewhere than than where it should be. Lord, I'm sorry for that, and, and I ask this now, that you would put your spirit in me so mightily and so powerfully that it doesn't matter who the mayor is, who the governor is, who the president is, who the emperor might be, um, but that I would be willing to subject myself to their rule for your sake and to live my life in such a way that it would be beneficial, not just for me, but it would be beneficial for others. Lord, help us by the power of your spirit to be governed by Christ in Christ alone. So Lord, bring us into your word, bring us into prayer, bring us into humble submission at your feet. Um, bring us together as your people to live together in a way um, that an extraordinary life is witnessed. And that it would not be our lives, but it would be the extraordinary life of Jesus Christ lived out in us. So Lord, help us that like the John, like John the Baptist said, that we would decrease so that Christ would increase. 
We pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.